you turn in the back of our hymnals tonight to page 873 as we look at Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism, as well as turning in God's Word to number 16, page 124 in your pew Bibles, page 124, Lord's Day 4 in the Heidelberg Catechism, back of the hymnal, page 873, and then in God's Word to Numbers 16. We see in Scripture that God is angry with sin. We heard a few weeks ago that, or we heard that sermon, the cup of wine, that Jesus drinks the cup of wrath, and we saw what that meant, the wrath of God against our sin. And we need to know that wrath of God against our sin so that we might understand our need for a Savior. And and as we see his wrath, we also recognize that he is one who invites us to come to him. And he says, I have covered all of your sin. I have turned my wrath away through my provision, my son, Jesus Christ. Let me read those questions and answers, and then we'll have a short introduction to number 16, and then read the entire chapter of number 16. But Beginning there, question nine. But doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man is unable to do? You remember from last week that we, we saw that we're um, inclined toward all evil, totally unable to do any good. And so then the question is, but doesn't God do us an injustice then by requiring in his law what man is unable to do? The answer, no. God created man with the ability to keep the law. Man, however, at the instigation of the devil, in willful disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. He's terribly angry with the sin we are born with as well as our actual sins. God will punish them by a just judgment both now and in eternity. Having declared, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Question 11, but isn't God also merciful? Yes, God is certainly merciful, but he's also just. His justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. Brothers and sisters, this is an important part of God's word, and it's important that the catechism sets it before us because it's not something that we want to take up on our own. We'd rather avoid this matter of sin and we'd rather avoid this teaching that God is angry with sin. Tonight's passage shows us what happens when we reject God and remain in sin. The book of Numbers uh, looks at the preparation of going into, as they're going into the wilderness, and uh, then it also uh, looks at the preparations for as they're going to enter into Canaan. What's important background for us tonight is to recall God's provision for the priesthood. In the early chapters of Numbers, Numbers 3 and 4, you don't have to look there now, but later you can do that. Uh, In Numbers 3 and 4, it speaks of God setting up the priesthood, God providing a a leadership for his people and how it was to be ordered. And Aaron and his descendants were responsible for the bringing of sacrifice before the Lord. And another group of the Levites were responsible for moving the temple when the people had to move, or the tabernacle when the people had to move. There were different roles within the assembly of God's people as there are today. What we see tonight is that there was anger amongst the people about these rules, about these 
divisions that God has made. So this is just one of, of the sins against God, but we're, tonight we're going to see how it, how it reveals a heart of sin against God in a bigger way. Now I'd ask you to direct your attention to the reading of God's Word as we look at Numbers chapter 16. This is the Word of God. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company. Put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, that he has brought you near him and all your brothers and the sons of Levi with you? Would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? In other words, we see see what you're doing. You're just going to to pretend that we don't see this? Are you going to put out our eyes so we don't see what's going on? That's their charge. We will not come up. Verse 15, And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they, and Aaron, tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it, and every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also, and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. 
So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest to take up the censers out of the blaze, then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. For they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. Thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar, to be a reminder to the people of Israel, so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. When the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly and behold, the plague had already begun among the people and he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. So far the reading of God's unholy word. Your congregation, this is a terrifying scene. The wrath of God against sin, the anger of God against sin among his own people as they rejected him, as they rebelled against him. And this is just one instance in the book of Numbers where we see God's anger. We can see it earlier in chapter 11 of Numbers where God is angry with the people. He's provided them with these faithful leaders and He's given them all that they need, and they're, they're unhappy that things have not moved along fast enough, and they're making accusation against God. Well, they're attacking Moses, they're attacking Aaron, but really, truthfully, they're making attack against God. 
God is angered by their sin, and His anger is not an unholy rage. It's a righteous response to that which would pollute and seek to destroy. We could look at the New Testament equivalent. We don't have time tonight, but we could look at the New Testament equivalent where, where Paul speaks of getting rid of that which pollutes among you, setting them outside of the body of believers lest they pollute and contaminate. And Jesus also talking about how such things can contaminate and destroy and lead to further rebellion. God's angry with the sin in the congregation here. He tells Moses and Aaron to separate themselves from the sinful leaders there in verse 21 and then from the sinful people in verse 45. Friends, sin is no small issue. This is not a small issue. God hates sin. One day he's going to destroy it. He's going to destroy sin and sinner because it has no place in his new creation. Sin's poisonous, it's destructive, it's life-threatening. God says through the prophet Ezekiel, the soul that sins shall die. Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is sin? And the answer is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. We must acknowledge that we sin against God every day in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. We sin against Him when we think we don't need to hear about our sin. What we see is later on when they're preparing to go in, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, God speaks to the people and says, there will be blessings for obedience and there will be curses for disobedience. He says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations. Blessings shall come upon you. Then he lists those blessings. Then in verse 15, he says, but if you will not obey, you choose not to obey the voice of the Lord, to reject his commandments, his Decrees and curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And he articulates what those curses will be. To understand blessing and curse, we must understand what blessing is. Many churches at the end of worship will use Numbers 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn the light of his countenance towards you and give you peace. That's a blessing. We looked at this a few weeks ago in Saturday morning men's Bible study, and R.C. Sproul said in his commentary, to be blessed as a human being is to be able to have God draw near, to lift up his face to us, for our sins turn God's face away from us. The blessing then is that God would turn toward us. That would be a blessing, but it cannot happen if we are in our sin. He goes on, the ultimate blessing awaits us in heaven when we shall see God's face. He says this, if we were to state what is meant by the curse of God in the Old Testament, so now the opposite, it would go something like this. May the Lord curse you and abandon you. May the Lord turn his face away from you and give you only his judgment. May the Lord turn out the light of his countenance and give you nothing but distress and turmoil. A fearful and heavy statement to be sure. If our sin is not atoned for, if our sin is not covered, we are under curse. A curse from which we must be delivered if we hope to see his face. More on that later. So what's so serious about this sin of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? Let's look at that for a few moments. Sin is rejecting God and his word. And in this particular instance, we can look at it uh, as three things that are being rejected. His design, his provision, and their position. 
So his design, his provision, and their position. God had designed the priesthood with particular pattern, with hierarchy, and we see that in everyday life. We see how God designs the the world with a pattern. It's seen in the earlier chapters of Numbers, as I said, Numbers 3 and 4. If you want to look there later, you can do that. God has a right to do that, to design things. It's his world, and it's his creation. And here, as we see in the sacred realm where God is calling us to worship before him, there is a way by which we must come. And the same is true in everyday life, right? What we're doing is living before the face of God. All of life is worship. How do we work? How do we play? How do we do all that we do from day to day? Is it with a recognition that we're before God and that we are to live publicly and privately with God ever before us and wanting to obey his commands. God gives design here, and he gives different positions and different gifts. He declares in his word that there isn't more valuable and less valuable people. Some are more visible, some less, but none less valuable, none irrelevant to his plan. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. We trust you can make the broader application. There are many differences between us here, but all equal in value, different gifts, different talents that we're to use for the common good. Serving God, not looking at some as more valuable, others less valuable. Further application still, more broadly, there is a design that God makes in the world, and when we are standing over against God's created design, then we are causing God to be very angry against our sin as we see in our society today, not living as we are created. Well, back in Numbers 16, the Levites didn't like the fact that Aaron's descendants had a different role. They didn't like the fact that Moses was more visible in his role. They charged him falsely as making himself a prince among them, verse 13. Will you make yourself a prince over us? Moses and Aaron are deeply troubled by their grumbling, for they say it's not against Aaron. Who is Aaron that you would grumble against him? Verse 11, but it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. And he tries to help them see their wonderful position. Verses 8 through 10, Moses says to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? To bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord? to stand before the congregation, to minister to them, and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? Would you seek the priesthood also? They want something different. They want something more. Isn't that the human heart? We want something different, something more. Not satisfied. God had entrusted them with something wonderful, and they were resentful. Well, we could look through the earlier books of the Bible in Exodus, we see that God appoints Moses. That's God's provision. He appoints Moses. You remember the burning bush, children, where God calls Moses to lead the people out. When we see later that Aaron is set apart to his position as high priest in Exodus 28 and 29, Moses then says in in our passage tonight, he wants God as witness before them For he says, I have not taken anything from them or harmed them in any way. Verse 15. This was rebellion against God's order, and it made him terribly angry. The people would not accept 
God's design. They would not accept God's provision. And they didn't like their place. Like them saying, why did you put me here? Why did you put these leaders over me? And why did you make me this way? Friends, sin angers God when we reject his design, his provision in our place. We show that we've inherited the depravity of our first parents, unable to do any good, inclined toward all evil, as answer eight said from last week. But then the catechism asks, isn't God uh, unjust then to require in his law what man is unable to do? And the answer is no, because he's created him with the ability to keep the law. He has written the law on our hearts, though we suppress it. Our depravity doesn't mean that God is unjust to require obedience. Rather, it highlights our depravity and our need to be rescued. Catechism captures Scripture's teaching when it says this, God will punish the unrepentant sinner both now and in eternity. That's scary. Consider the picture of the judgment here in this passage tonight. Moses and Aaron, though imperfect leaders, are God's chosen leaders, given this position by God. And the sin of the people then is rebellion against God. The hard-heartedness of sin is seen in Dathan and Abiram. They said, we're not going to come up. We won't come up before you, verses 12 and 14. They see Moses and Aaron as opportunists taking advantage of the people. Korah also stood in opposition to Moses, though he appeared before him. And the Lord appears to judge. Remember the test put before, before them. The one whose incense was accepted was the one accepted by God. The censer was, that, was a small urn, sometimes open, sometimes closed, in which there were hot coals. And then you would put incense in there on top of the coals, and, and it, would, it would heat up, and the, there would be a sweet-smelling smoke that came out of, of that censer. That's where we get, children, this idea of the sweet-smelling sacrifice before God or God's the pleasing aroma before the Lord. It was a picture of God receiving sacrifice. Moses says, burn your incense. God will make clear who is accepted. And so they put incense in their censers and they, stand, they stood before the tabernacle and the Lord appeared and said, separate from these men for I'm going to consume them. Now, one would think that would be enough to change people's minds. But here we see the hard-heartedness of Dathan and Abiram and of Korah. They refuse to change their minds or to change their ways. And Moses then goes, according to God's gracious, patient love, he goes with these words, depart from these wicked men, I, I plead with you. We could call that something of an evangelistic appeal. That they would depart from the wicked. Dathan and Abiram refuse to turn from their wickedness, and Moses does not falter to warn them. He says in verse 29, if these men die as all men die, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking, the ground split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. One would think that that would cause there to be a great 
solemnity, a sober reflection. And what do we read? The next day, the people are angry. They're grumbling again. You've killed the people of God. And the Lord cast plague upon them, and many died. 14,700, we read toward the end of our passage tonight. Moses declares that it is God's wrath going out against sin. The Bible teaches that sin against God and His supreme majesty will be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment in body, of body and soul in hell. Jesus is the one who says that. The Scripture reference there is Matthew 25, 35 to 46. Jesus' words about the coming of the Son of Man and His judgment of sinners. Well, as we move on then, we ask ourselves, what or who can save from God's just wrath? We children ask this question, was it Aaron's incense that saved the people? Verse 47, 48, he goes out and he stands between the living and the dead and the plague is stopped as he sets the incense out. But we know it's not that incense so much as it points to something greater that is necessary. This is, a, this is where we need to talk a bit about the office of priest. Aaron, though he is the high priest, could not keep these people from death, but he points forward to a greater high priest. God declares in the Old Testament that sacrifice for sin has to be made. Turn aside his wrath against our sin, and the high priest has given that task. Bring sacrifice into the Holy of Holies one day a year. Only he could go in, not whoever thought, whomever thought, whoever thought they could go. The Old Testament high priest had to make sacrifice, we see, for himself. <clears throat> not just the people, showing that he could not save because of his standing before God. He, too, was under curse for sin. Now, really condensing things here in the progress of Revelation, what we see is that the lamb, without blemish, was to be offered on the Day of Atonement as a picture, not as a satisfaction, not as a perfect sacrifice for sin. <clears throat> the blood of animals could not atone for sin. We recognize that from Hebrews 10, where we read that there. What's needed is a man, for man has sinned. We'll look at that more in coming Lord's Days in the Catechism. We see the great greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But when the Son of Man came, or Son of God came to earth, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit that is without sin, taking on flesh, that he would be a qualified sacrifice for us, for our sin. When he begins his public ministry, he declares that God is angry with sin and that all had to repent. Now, the priests, the priesthood didn't like that. They said, who do you think you are? He says that the priestly sacrifice is even going to come to an end because this is just a type, it's a shadow. It's, these animals cannot pay for sin. It is going to be one who is greater, one who is perfect, unblemished. The priests resist Jesus at many turns, at, at, at many different places, and with many different people rejecting Him. They didn't like to, to acknowledge the fact that their place, their position before God was that they too were under curse, under sin's curse and needed to be rescued. They thought themselves holy and pleasing to God in and of themselves. Jesus is basically saying that there's no incense or animal sacrifice that is sweet enough to remove man's guilt and pollution. And what we remember here is that even those who've been taught, even those who've been instructed, such as these Israelites here in Numbers 16, but the human heart does not want to receive God's design, God's provision, and 
his position that he has given to us and our place before him and what, it, what the word teaches, that we are sinful under curse. The Bible's clear, too, that Jesus is a sacrifice for sin, and that is where things transition, where we think of that, that heaviness of the message, that we are under a curse, and then we see that, that, that turn as the, the Word says this, that He has come to bear that curse for us, that He is the one who bears the wrath of God against our sin upon Himself as that once-for-all sacrifice for sin, that final sacrifice, He being appointed by God, we must not reject God's design as provision or deny our position that we are under sin. That's why we celebrate his death until he comes again. That's why we did that this morning, remembering what he's done, what he's accomplished. We do this for only his death is sufficient for, uh, to cover our sins. And those who reject him will face a death like Korah, Moses warns about that. He says, if you rebel against God and his ways, you will become like Korah. Verse 40. The testimony of Holy Scripture. That in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can find deliverance, but apart from him, we are under the wrath of God for our sin. The New Testament comes and Paul, who had thought he could deliver himself because of his own goodness or that he was pleasing before God, then was transformed as he met the Lord Jesus Christ and said, no, I now see that my holiness is nothing. It's as filthy rags before the Lord. I need the the Son of God, the one whom I was persecuting, to be my Savior, to cover over all my sins. And he says to the Thessalonians very interesting words as that pertains to this idea of wrath. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, God has not appointed us to suffer wrath because they were those who had believed in Jesus Christ. He, said, God, he says this, God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we understand that we're under God's wrath, that he is angry with our sin, it leads us to turn from our ways and to study once again God's ways and His path of salvation. It is the only way, and then we can rejoice in that good news of the gospel, that in Christ we're redeemed, and by God's grace we're delivered. And we're then to be those who are functioning as priests, those who are interceding for others, praying for our neighbors, and, and proclaiming to them, too, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might not perish, but that they might know Him and be delivered from the wrath of God against sin. That's the message that we have. So in this heaviness of this Lord's Day, where we hear of God's wrath, we also recognize that God has provided a way that same God who is angry with sin is the God who says, come, and I offer a means by which you can be delivered from wrath and live forever. For he has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. May that be true for everyone here tonight. Amen. Father in heaven, we see in this lengthy passage, in this intense passage, the reality of your wrath against sin. 
the reality of rebellious hearts, how we can become hardened, how we can become resistant, rejecting your design, your provision, and our position. We pray, Lord, that we would be led by your Spirit through this word tonight to turn from sin, to pray for hearts that are softened by your Spirit, that we might respond rightly to your word and know then in our hearts the assurance of eternal life being found in Jesus Christ. Thank you, O Father, for that provision. We thank you for this proclamation. We thank you for your promise. We pray that we would go forth with appropriate solemnity, but with also that attitude of rejoicing, telling others of this hope and of this help. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 277 speaks of that provision, that sacrifice that we have before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest, greater than Aaron, whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. We're going to stand to sing those three stanzas, number 277.
collecting tonight is for Beth Shan. Let's come together in prayer. Lord, we pray that you'd be with all those at Beth Shan, uh, both staff and residents. We ask that you'd fulfill all of their needs there, guide, guard, and protect them. We pray that you would bless this offering now and help us to be faithful stewards. In your name alone, amen. Let's stand together and give confession of our faith using the words of Nicene Creed found on page 852 as we depart to go and tell of our great God. We answer this question. Christian, what is it you believe with the words of the Nicene Creed saying together, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Receive this parting blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen.